This podcast is sponsored by FHE Health and their Shatterproof Program for First Responders. So excited to have my next guest on the show, Dr. Meredith Moran. She is a former law enforcement officer with many years of experience, and she's also a clinician that specializes in treating first responders. You do not want to miss this episode. Dr. Meredith Moran, next on the CJ Evolution Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Patrick here, hosting creator of the Top Ranked CJ Evolution Podcast. Top Ranked because of you, the listener and supporter. Thank you so much for your support over the years. If you are a new listener, welcome. We know you're going to love the show. Longtime listener, welcome back and thank you once again. A special thanks to you, the criminal justice professional, whatever you were doing, wherever you were at. Thank you for doing it. And remember this, you were honored, cherished, and above all, you are loved. Keep up the fantastic work. What makes Shatterproof a very unique program is it's one of the only programs in the country that first responders can go to that is 100% all first responders. Everybody's in pretty bad shape when they get here. And then 30 days later, when you can see the transformation and the difference in people when they've had 30 days uh, of counseling, working with therapists, working with a psychiatrist, getting the neuro treatment, doing the breath therapy that's done here. The transformation that happens with the clients is really humbling to be able to work around and see because people are getting better here. And it just shows that there's a need for the first responder community to deal with behavioral health issues and take them seriously and offer treatment to people that may need help out there. They should be afforded the ability to come get help when they need help. It has gotten better, but we still have a long way to go. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. I am very excited to have my next guest on the show. She is Dr. Meredith Moran, and she has she works a lot with first responders, but she has that unique background of being a Leo, former first responder. And now she is working as a clinician with her company, First Line Wellness. Welcome, Dr. Moran. Welcome. Frontline it's Wellness. I'm sorry. Frontline Wellness. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't. My reader's on, Meredith. That's okay. It's okay. Frontline Wellness, folks. Welcome, Dr. So, Moran. Thank you for having me. I it's I've been looking forward to this for a while. So, so. we talked a little bit before we started about um, you know, you you have that law enforcement background. And every Leo or former Leo I have on the show, I always ask him the same thing, Meredith. I'm gonna ask you, what made you become a cop? Why'd you want to do it? You know, it's weird. I don't know. Like, I don't have a family background in law enforcement. I have like two distant cousins that were cops back in the day. Yeah. Um, but something clicked in my early teens and I just said, I really want to do that. And I became a police explorer at the age of 15. Um, I did that till I was 21 and went off to college and got my bachelor's degree in criminology. Um and then I got, I ended up getting hired right back on um, in my later 20s or at the age of 27, I got hired back on with the agency that I was an explorer with. So it was, I think it was just that desire to help people, mm -hmm. but also it just seemed like a really cool thing to do. 
And what you and and you know, uh, Meredith. I mean, there's highs and lows uh, mm-hmm. in law enforcement. What, what were some of you, if you'd be willing to share, what were some of the most difficult aspects that you had to deal with being in law enforcement? Luckily for me, one of the the easier aspects. You know, there's always that talk about being a woman in law enforcement and yeah. a male dominated job and. I ended up with a really good department and a couple of really good FTOs that were real. They focused on you as an officer. Yeah. So I didn't get a lot of that male female dynamic of, oh, she's not going to perform because she's a woman. Yeah, she's a woman. Blah, blah, yeah. Blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah. Um, I think some of the most difficult, one of my early calls was, um, a shooting call between two kids that got hold of a gun. And that was an interesting one because it was like a Sunday, Sunday afternoon. And I was sitting at my zone partner's house. She had just had some surgery and we're just chilling and the alert tone goes off. And it's weird. Cause like instinctively I thought, Oh, this is going to be my call before they started even calling out numbers. Sure. And it's that going from zero to a hundred, just like that. And then trying to figure out the call. It sounded like it was maybe a domestic and to begin cha- with. In, in the midst of chaos and all that mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. And then, you know, going that super high, that was the day I learned what adrenaline really was and how <laughs> it affects me. <laughs> and that, you know, I ended up having to, go to the hospital and and i was there when he was pronounced the the child was pronounced dead and uh, i had well, to wait with the body and then it was like that adrenaline crash happened yeah. and that i really and when i when i started teaching law enforcement recruits i talked about this story because i really under, began to understand what does adrenaline do to your body and mm-hmm. what does it do to my body um, at the end of that call, I, and, and still with adrenaline, I get a uh, screaming headache. Like it felt like a railroad tie was being smashed through the center of my skull. Um, luckily we have a good CISM team, critical incident stress management team at the time. So mm-hmm. we immediately had a CISM debriefing that night, which I think really helped, um, and we're kind of did a lot with the family throughout the the entire week. We ended up myself and one of the other officers and the detectives went to the funeral. And and so we did a lot of that with the family mm-hmm. um, throughout the week. So that didn't it didn't really bother me in that sense. But it was weird because when I would talk about it in front of an audience of police recruits, I would feel that adrenaline rush start to come up again. And I didn't really understand that until I got into the counseling field and started talking about the brain and how trauma affects our brains and that kind of stuff. Yeah. What was some of the, what were some of the biggest highlights? I mean, we talked about the depressing stuff, the traumatic stuff that we can talk about a little bit more in depth, but what were some of the highlights of your career? What, what, what made you, made it, you know, you were like, oh, my God, this is why I got into it. Yeah, I think, I mean, those days when you helped people, those yeah. days when you would get a letter from some random stranger. I, I I have a letter in my file. of It was pouring down rain in this old, this 
elderly woman, her car was, was kind of on the fritz. And I was like, okay, well, I'll follow you home to make sure you get home safely. And she wrote this great letter to the chief about, you know, how kind I was and, and all of that. And, um, I did a lot of work around domestic violence mm -hmm. investigation. At that time, um, my agency was one of the leaders in domestic violence investigation. And I helped start a program where people can turn in old cell phones and they get um, handed out to domestic violence victims and survivors so that they have access to 911. Mm -hmm. And that pro I started that program in the early 90s and it's still going on wow. in some fashion. Wow. So those are the things that I'm really proud of is when, you know, that, that that's what keeps you going, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what keeps you going. I mean, what was the, so I know before we started, doctor, you, you were telling me what you, what your plan was initially, but what, what was the, and you can share that or mm -hmm. but what was the catalyst that said, okay, I really want to get into the clinical part of it. I, I really want to start you know, doing the, the counseling and the therapy. Yeah. So my, yeah, like I said before, my life plan at 15 was I'm going to go to the Academy. I'm going to work for local law enforcement for a little while. I'm going to be a fed. And then when I retire, I'm going to teach at a university. That was the plan. Um, and six and a half years into my law enforcement career, I've never been what you would call a natural shooter. I've, <laughs> it's always something that I have not, I've always had yeah. to work at it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and six and a half years in, I got some really severe test anxiety and I could not hit the broadside of a barn. I couldn't qualify yeah. if my life depended on it. Um, which is funny because they sent me to the psychiatrist and he said, if this were a real shoot situation where her life did depend on it, I have no doubt that that she would get the job done. This sure. is strictly test anxiety. Yeah. Um, people, some people are like that. I mean, it's yeah. yeah. And so while I was kind of battling this, obviously they have to take your gun away. I was on the front desk and that churned up a lot of self doubt about, well, if I can't do this part of my job, how could I possibly continue to do this part of my job, even though the two things are separate? Sure. Um, and so I ended up um, resigning at that point. Um, but right around the same time that that was happening, um, a colleague of mine um, died by suicide. Oh. Um, so he had been in a shooting several years earlier and was kind of on a downward spiral and he and I weren't that close. So I didn't, I didn't see it. Other people did, but it was, you know, kind of the mid nineties and we didn't think about PTSD in first responders the way we do now. Mm -hmm. So a lot of stuff was missed. Yeah. Um, and I had actually talked to him three days before he killed himself. Um, so those two things kind of happened right around the same time. Um, I ended up landing a job at our local police academy as a training coordinator. And I was a faculty member at the same time. So it was kind of a no brainer to go get a doctorate because that's what you did as faculty. <laughs> um, so I was like, uh, let's go get a doctorate in counseling. Yeah. Not understanding the process that, you know, 
of getting licensed. I'm like, I'll just go get a doctorate in counseling and then I can be a counselor and help people. And yeah. <laughs> and then here you um, are. And here I am. It, it took a long time. I ended up, I was at the Academy for about eight years and then got laid off. And that was a pretty low point in my life. I was unemployed for about a year and a half and um, talking to people and saying, you know, I'm, I'm not suicidal, but I understand the feeling. I understand yeah. the idea of what's in the future and the hopelessness and the helplessness. Um, and then I get, I got hooked up with a uh, behavioral health substance use treatment facility here in Pinellas County, Florida called Operation PAR. And I was there for 12 and a half years and I worked in research, outpatient, uh, adolescent residential, Got and that's where I got my license. And then I, in 2019, I started the transition into full-time, into private practice. Yeah, private practice. And it, yeah. you know, it is amazing, Meredith. I never thought, you know, I, I spent, and I tell people this all the time, I spent 23 years in law enforcement, retired in 2019. Of course, I went through my dark periods, which landed mm -hmm. me in treatment. Uh, as you know, but I never thought I would be working <laughs> and I love it. I'm so blessed, but I never thought I'd be working in behavioral health, you know, with treatment and trying to get, you know, first responders, you know, to, into treatment, you know, Oh yeah. but it's, 15. it's amazing. I am so grateful. I am so satisfied. I love my job. Mm -hmm. If I can I help, if I, and I know you do, or you wouldn't be doing it. I mean, I, yeah. to, to help first responders who desperately need it, most of them, as you know, it's very hard. I mean, I'm speaking to the choir with you. I mean, it's very hard to get first responders to open up and you have that unique background of being a cop and a clinician. So you can relate. Yeah. I know when I was going through, I didn't want to talk to anybody else, doctor, except somebody like you who has yeah. the background that knows the lingo, who knows what it's like yeah. <clears throat> to walk in those steps. So, and cause you, you do that. You probably hear that all the time, right? Uh, you know, yeah. they, they understand you more because you have that first responder background. Yeah. And even, well, even as a law enforcement officer, you know, I did a couple sessions with EAP because of some personal stuff I was going through. And, and I just, while the EAP counselor was a very competent counselor, I just felt like this person doesn't understand my life. No. Where I'm coming from. Yeah. And I've had other, um, Agencies, when I've talked to, to agencies after when I was getting into this, talking about how they've had EAP counselors, and I've heard this on other podcasts and other stories that, you know, an EAP counselor breaking down crying. That happened to me. Yeah. There it is. Yeah. And now you have to be the service provider to, to pull them together. <laughs> I was in, I was in, I was in, uh, so I finally reached out to help, reached out to my younger sister. I said, look, I have suicidal ideation. I have a plan, all that stuff. This is when I was in Colorado. So I went to a hospital. They got me checked in. Same thing happened. This young, God bless her, this young woman comes in there and she ends up crying. And I'm here I am, checked myself in for a hold and she's getting upset. Yeah. <laughs> it's not funny, yeah. but to your point, yeah. you know, it's like, okay, I need somebody who yeah. understands. Right. And that's, I think that you're right. I think that gives me a unique perspective because, Absolutely. you know, I've had first responders, law enforcement officers come in and they're dropping F-bombs and they're like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm like, I don't fucking care what you say. That's okay. it's my language too. <laughs> I, I get it. I under, I, 
I understand the language, you know, and I've and I've had military people who've talked about, you know, combat and, you know, we're out there picking up my buddy's body parts and putting them in a bag. And it's like, yeah, that must that sucks. You now, know, is, is there any specialty, for, especially for the people that are listening and that are down in Florida right now for you, Dr. Moran, is there any new specialties that are coming out? I mean, it seems like in now the more I learn about it, there's, you know, we we talked a little bit. You can talk about ART. Um, where there are a lot of stuff is uh, going on with like treatment of the brain and neurostimulation and neurofeedback and stuff. What what what's coming out? What do you foresee? I mean, you're in the field, you know, the the exciting new stuff now that's coming out for not just first responder therapy, but anybody who's mm -hmm. who's you know struggling with addiction and mental health. Yeah, I well. EMDR is kind of a, a classic. It's, it's been like around standard, for a long time. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, and I'm certified in an offshoot of EMDR called Accelerated Resolution Therapy, ART. Um, it does the same type of thing where we do the bilateral brain stimulation that simulates REM sleep. Um, but I think for, and I've never done EMDR, but with ART, we can be a little bit more targeted. We can mm -hmm. go, what is the thing that, you want to work on, you know, my, like my military client, he was like, yeah, I want to work on this IED issue where we had to do this stuff. And I'm like, okay, mm -hmm. cool. Let's do that. And, and we go in and we, we strip the emotion away from the old memory. And then we rewrite a new memory into, I, I, when I talk to clients about emotional memory, I talk about it in terms of a Rolodex. And sometimes I have to explain to my young ones what a Rolodex is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for the old, old people like us, you know, it was a little thing you yeah. had on your desk and you just get a contact information. Yeah. In my PowerPoint, when I, when I train officers, I actually have a picture of a Rolodex, so I don't have to explain it to a whole room of people. <laughs> but I, <laughs> I talk about the emotional memory in terms of this Rolodex that every emotional memory we've had from birth to right now is a card in that Rolodex. Yeah. And if we pull that card out, everything about the trauma, if it's a traumatic memory, is on that card. So with ART, what we can do is we can pull that card, that specific card out. We can strip the emotion away from the situation. And then we get to rewrite the card. Oh, okay. So now we get to say, what's a, what's a positive thing that you want to happen? Um, you know, and I've had, I've had clients who were in a childhood abuse that they've gone in as their adult selves and rescued that child or, um, client clients where they've had to deal with, um, a suicide of a colleague where they've gone in and they've, they've rewritten it so that that person just quit their job and moved to a mountain in Montana and they're living their best life. And then we stick that new card into the Rolodex and when you do that, when you change the picture, you change the emotional symptomology. So now when that, even though my thinking brain knows what the truth is, and I've done ART with that, the, the shooting situation that you and I had talked about earlier. Yeah. Um, I've done ART with that. So even though my thinking brain knows what really happened, my emotional brain has a different picture. So when I tell the story, I don't have the symptomology. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. 
to now, how watch. long do how long do sessions generally last? I mean, I guess it depends on the patient, right? I mean, in usually an hour. Hour. Okay. A little. I try not to go too far over an hour with an ART session. Um, I had one that that lasted two hours. Yeah. Um, and he was um a Minneapolis cop who was in the riots. Oh, geez. And so that session went really long. But yeah, we. It, that's the great thing about ART is that depending on the the trauma we can we can get that taken care of in about an hour you know and then i tell clients here's the thing the brain's like an onion so now that we've taken that layer off other stuff might bubble <laughs> up and that's, yeah, that's great yeah that's great write it down we'll fix it next time yeah because that means your brain is saying okay i'm ready to deal with this i'm ready to fix this yeah what do you, do you think meredith i mean you 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 treat first responders a lot of them all the time i mean do you think that in the law enforcement, well, not not just law enforcement, but the first responder field, you know, fire, EMS, Leos, I mean, do you think the stigma is kind of eroding a little bit when, you know, first responders hear, you know, the term mental health or PTSI or PTSD, or do you think it, it just depends, you know, on the agency, or do you think that kind of stigma, like when I first started, you just didn't talk about your problems. You just didn't talk about the shit you were dealing with. But right. do you think that do you do you think it's you know it's getting better with the stigma behind mental health now or do you do you think it's think kind it of is the same? getting better? Yeah, I think it is getting better. Again, I think it is depending on the individual, depending on the agency. Um, I just posted something on LinkedIn today. You've got to have a top-down approach Absolutely. to mental wellness, and you also have to have a you also have to have zero tolerance for suck it up attitudes yeah exactly those you know, days are gone yeah because anybody the you know if you've got 75 percent of your department on board with mental wellness and you've got that one grizzly old sergeant or somebody or that you know retired on day shift guy that's like i don't believe in this just suck it up then you're gonna ruin it for everybody yeah yeah that's why it's and so key oh go ahead i'm sorry well, and I think you also have to have, you know, this idea of um, when I talk to supervisors, this idea of safety. Yeah. You know, if if the only time my supervisor talks to me is to tell me I've done something wrong, I'm not going to go to that supervisor and say, hey, I'm struggling. Absolutely. So or if I see that that John went to the went to somebody and said, hey, I'm struggling and they stripped him of his. You know, they put him on the desk, put him in a hole somewhere and stripped him of his hey, penalizing him. Yeah. yeah, they penalize him. Then there's no way that I'm going to speak up. And I talk, you know, when I talk to first responders, I, I would say eight out of 10 that I speak to. And I don't know if you get this, Meredith, is where they say we don't think that the brass has our back or the super or the higher ups, you know, and that's Ooh. the cause for a lot of their stress, you know, yeah. and a lot of their depression. Um, is we don't think they think, you know, in their minds, you know, perception, maybe it's true, or maybe it's in perception is reality. We all know is, yeah. is that if they go out there and do something wrong, they're just going to be hung out to dry. Yeah. You yeah. Know? And I think that's, you know, I think with so many eyes on law enforcement today and everybody's got a camera on their phone and, you know, there's 
there's this huge shift of I don't want to, I don't know how quite to put this. There's this huge shift where everybody's got eyes on law enforcement. And so there is this, we have, we've run into this danger of, even if I'm doing my job correctly, I could get eaten up in the media. I could get eaten up in my community and my agency may jump on that just as a, a CYA for the agency. Yeah. So yeah what's the point in me doing my job if I'm not going to get, if I'm just going to get eaten up anyway? Yeah, absolutely. And it's, I, yeah. it's just so, I'm so glad, you know, and I don't say this in a, you know, arrogant way, hopefully. I mean, I'm so glad I got out when, when I did, but I'm, I'm also blessed. The flip side of that is I'm blessed that, or I'm, I'm happy, very happy that, men and women are still getting into the field in this mm -hmm. day and age with so many, like you said, so many eyes, so much scrutiny. We've always had scrutiny, but I couldn't do the job now, Meredith. Yeah. I, I couldn't. And I, and I yeah. not that I was out there doing legal shit, but I, I just couldn't. There's so much pressure on them today. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Know? I mean, when I was doing the job, even in the, in the early nineties, you didn't have a 24 seven news cycle. Yeah, you didn't exactly. have, yeah. I can I can film you doing this thing and it can be up on YouTube in a matter of seconds. Yeah. But, you didn't you didn't have that. But I still think, and maybe I'm just naive, uh I, I still think the majority, the vast majority of people out there support law enforcement, support first responders. Absolutely. I wish they were more vocal. But yeah. I, I, you know, you think of, you know, I tell people and you know that, I mean, how many contacts do cops make on a daily basis? Hundreds and thousands of contacts. Mm -hmm. There's only a sliver, a very small, small percentage of those that go south. Mm -hmm. But those are the things that the media focuses on. Yeah. You know, and they, and some of them, the cops F up, you know, that they make stupid decisions, but majority of the time they're making the right decisions, in my opinion. Yeah. But you're right. I mean, we didn't have that news cycle when you and I were on the job. <laughs> we have cameras. I remember when I started, we didn't even have laptops in the cars. You know, we didn't and have laptops. We, I that? had a beeper. We didn't have laptops. I <laughs> oh, that's feature. what I mean. We didn't have laptops yeah. in the car. We had, you know, your your laptop was your hand or your your notepad or whatever. Yeah. And we, had, I remember beepers. You know, and it was like people beep you. All right, call me. You yeah. know. Yeah, I, I would come up with from work with notes all over my and have to wash the notes off your hand. Or I remember going to, to a payphone and calling my dispatcher going, okay, call me on this number. Yeah. And my dispatcher would call me on a payphone so that we could have a private conversation, not over the radio. <laughs> I remember <laughs> when I was at FTO for a while and I remember I had this young officer in there, this cadet, and he gets in the car one day and, you know, it's their job to fire up the car and make sure everything's okay. And and I remember we get in there and he's like, oh, man, sir, sir, you know, the computer's not working. I was like, okay. Right. He's like, well, the laptop's not working. I was like, okay. He's like, well, do I go home or what? what? And I was like, you see that thing right there? That's a radio. That's what you're going to use, you know, all day. And you see that little thing in your pocket? That's a notebook. But he was <laughs> like, he's like, I, I guess we want to go home. Oh, sure. Yeah. We'll just shut down for the day. Yeah. <laughs> Well, my husband, so my husband's a sheriff's deputy and he was saying that they were having problems with recruits backing into stuff because <laughs> nobody knows how to use mirrors anymore to back or up. Or Parallel Park. Or 
Well, I can't say that because I can't parallel park to save my life. But uh, I, we had young guys, too, to your point, running it because we had we had beams, you know, that would separate the carports. Right. And they would run. And there was a stupid design, but, you know, in their defense. But it was still they didn't know how to back up. Yeah. They didn't know how to use these guys. My <laughs> husband's like, yeah, these guys are wrecking cruisers because they have no idea how to. They're so used to that. The the. <laughs> GPS backup camera that they have no idea how to use mirrors to back up. I remember, I remember when I first stuff. started, I was in an old Caprice or a, what, are the, what are the old cop cars? The Chevy Caprice. Yeah, the Chevy Caprice, and then uh, we went. We had Impalas, and then we mm -hmm. had uh, what was the other one? The the classic we had Tauruses one. Tauruses for a while. <laughs> and a Ford Taurus for a while. <laughs> now, now I think this. I think everybody's driving an SUV. Yeah. You know, which, uh, but anyway, what advice, you know, you did it for a long time. You're still, you know, you got your toe in the water with, with first responders. You treat them. What advice would you give somebody out there who's thinking, you know, I want to be not necessarily a cop, but I wanted to, I want to get into the first responder realm. I want to be a firefighter. I want to be a correction officer. What advice would you give them as a, as a therapist? I would say, I would say do your research. I would mm -hmm. say, talk to people. Do a ride along if you can. Um, I would say I think um, Kevin Gil Martin's Emotional yeah. Survival for Law Enforcement. I think every must read. Should read that. Yeah, I actually just gave it to a firefighter client that I have. We had to I read those. Like, we had to read yeah. it. Our chief bought it for everybody in the department, and we had an assignment to do, which I yeah. think was awesome. So yeah, I would say I would say yeah, read that book, listen to podcasts like yours and and a lot of the other law enforcement podcasts that are that are on that are telling the truth. And and talk to people because yeah, it's a great job. I mean, I I there are days when I miss it. There are days and I've been off the road since 1999. Yeah. Well, early 2000s, because I was a reserve deputy for a few years. But, you know, it's a great job and and it's fun, but it's also a job. Yeah. It you shouldn't know, consume your life. Have a, When you get on, make sure you have that support system and that you keep that Absolutely. support system going. Absolutely. You know, don't let people, we. And I tell people to get friends outside of law enforcement, Dr. Mm -hmm. Moran. I mean, I don't know if, I mean, that's what, that's what helped me too, is I started getting people outside of law enforcement to become friends with. Yeah. Well, I, and I think that we become, and, and I'm, I'm rereading Gil Martin's book because I'm getting ready to use it as a textbook for a class I'm going to be teaching in the spring. But I think we become this incestuous kind of thing because you get to the point where the only people who understand you are other cops. The only people you trust are other cops. And the only people you trust are other cops. As a female officer, you know, when I first started, I was like, I'm not dating cops. I'm not dating them. I'm not marrying I'm not doing anything like that. But then as a female officer dating in the civilian world, at least when I was doing it, you'd have two types of guys. Oh, you're a cop? You can kick my ass? Never mind. <laughs> or... So you have handcuffs, right? <laughs> and this is what I'm dealing with. <laughs> so like, okay, I guess I'll date cops because yeah, yeah. I, I don't have to deal with that. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I ended up marrying a cop. So, <laughs> but it, yeah, yeah that's, a, I, that's great advice. 
it's it's really important to maintain those friendships and have those friendships outside of law enforcement and also to have hobbies outside of law enforcement. One of Absolutely. the things I talk about is how and and going to the range is not a hobby. No. You know, going to the range is a great it's great. Go blow some rounds off, have a great yeah. time, but that's that is a skill set. Well, yeah, when I when I when you say hobbies, I think of hiking or or walking or playing golf or, or, or something where, yeah. and I, I don't get me. I love my guns, you know, but oh, it's, I, I, I agree with you, Meredith. It's, it's you're keeping up your skill set because those are, yeah. those are perishable skills if you don't keep up with them. Yeah. But it's not uh, a hobby. Yeah. It's do something that is not your job. Yeah. What, what advice would you give anybody out there? Cause you know, statistically people are going to listen to this. There's a portion of them who are struggling. I mean, that's just mm -hmm. a given. What what advice would you give somebody out there who might be listening and hearing you as a as a doctor, as a therapist, as a clinician? What would you tell them if they're struggling right now? I would tell them that a that's a normal response to what you do. Mm -hmm. That you know you're you're probably the problem is that people start to struggle and then they go, oh, I'm crazy. Yeah, and. When I sit people in a chair and I tell them what trauma does to your brain and how it flips on that that hyper alertness where you're just always in this state of hyper vigilance, I've had people sit back in the chair and look at me and go, so I'm not crazy? I'm like, no, you're not crazy. You're just overstimulated. We can fix that. Yeah. So first of all, I would say the reactions that you're having are normal based on what you do for a living and what you see. But you need to offload that someplace. Mm -hmm. So find a trusted peer. You know, if you're if your agency or your county has a peer support team, find a trusted peer or somebody, somebody maybe in your family that you trust that you can offload that to. Or find a culturally competent therapist. Or reach and out therapy, to you. Or reach out to me. <laughs> yeah. If you're, in the if you're in the state of Florida, I do telehealth. Yeah, so there you go. If you're if you're in the state of Florida, reach out to me. And we'll talk. And I also believe that you don't have to be in crisis to go to therapy. That's a, sometimes such a I good have point. people who, yeah, sometimes I have people who come in and go, I know what the answer is. I just need to vent. Or I have all this stuff, especially with first responders, I have all this stuff that I'm carrying. I don't want to traumatize my spouse with it. So I, I need to offload the really hard stuff so that then I can have conversations with my with my partner about my day and about how I'm feeling, but I don't traumatize them with the really, really ick stuff. Yeah. But I like what you said. And, that, and I think of my own, you know, stuff I went through. I didn't reach out until it was crisis mode, mm -hmm. you know, but I like what you said. You don't, even if you are, starting to get you don't have to wait till shit hits the fan right it's like you you can do improvement along the way to help well, mitigate that before yeah. you know you're you're doing something stupid like trying to hurt yourself yeah don't well and i i liken it to this idea of if if you're on a call and it feels a little sketch i'm gonna call for backup before it goes completely south that's a good analogy i love that yeah. Yeah. So, Same thing with yourself. Yeah. If you're feeling a type of way, go talk to somebody. And, 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 you know, we can do, you know, two sessions of 
this is what your brain's doing and here's some tools to deal with it and cool peace out call me if you need me again yeah you know or yeah. we can do more sessions whatever whatever the client wants preventative, to do preventative maintenance yeah and we do that with physical health all the time you go yeah. to your, you know you if you go to your doctor yearly for blood tests you know you get your eyes checked you you do we do all of that stuff for our physical wellness but we don't think about taking care of our mental wellness absolutely on a preventative level and it all starts with the brain you know i mean it just it runs it all and but the good thing is is that you know brain can heal itself as you know oh yeah i love neuroplasticity yeah yeah so Dr. Meredith Moran, where can people, again, listeners out there, if you're struggling and you're in the Florida area, please reach out to Dr. Moran. She's awesome. Where can they reach out to you? So my website is, if you actually just Google frontline wellness, two words, you can come across me, but it's flwellness.org. Um, people can also call me. I have a direct cell line, 727 um, 316 0798 is my direct office cell line. So people can call. If I don't answer, leave me a message. I, I try to get back to people within 24 hours, um, 24 to 48 hours, depending on if it's my, I, I do take my weekends off so I can have my own self-care. Yeah, um, you need that, especially with your job. Yeah. You know, you need to take care of yourself too. You know that. So yeah. you need some downtime. Yeah. And if people go to my website, you can, you can book a, a, a session straight off my website. You can book a free 30 minute consultation just straight off my website, either telehealth or in person. And, and we'll talk and see if we're a good fit. Absolutely. Dr. Moran, thank you so much. For the listeners out there, everything we talked about, including Dr. Moran's contact information along with her cell and website will be linked up in the show notes. Dr. Moran, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for your service. And thank you with your continuing service to our brave first responders who serve every day. Thank you. And thank you for all that you do. I, you have helped me recently and I appreciate you being there to help me with, with the stuff that I had going on with a client and, and all the stuff that you do. So absolutely my friend, thank you so much. And yes, I mean, it's, it takes a, you know, there's, it takes a collaboration with, with experts like you and, and, you know, it, it, you just can't do it alone. It takes right. a team effort, you know, with what we're dealing with, you know, the, the, the crisis, I think that's going on within the first responder community with, you know, the mental health issues and the alcoholism and, and the other abuses that are happening. So, but reach out to Dr. Moran. She can help you get better. I would love to. All right, doctor. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And I'll talk with you Thank soon. You for Absolutely. Thank you for having me. It's been an honor. Thank you. Such an honor having Dr. Moran on the show. Very knowledgeable and most importantly, helping you, the first responder. Head over to the YouTube channel, CJ Evolution Podcast, and click on the subscribe button so you can see all the great shows coming on YouTube from CJ Evolution. Until next time.